I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder, a true crime podcast with an element of baking. And what are you making this week? So this week I am making chicken noodle soup. I, yes, I made some um, tonight for dinner for the fam and it was super good. Um, And so we're doing an uh, a case in Ireland today and so I was like how can I Irish this up a little bit so I looked it up I just searched Irish chicken noodle soup literally I think that the only thing that makes it Irish is the name because (laughs) (laughs) I can't find like I'm looking at this it's basically the same exact recipe that I just used so it's chicken noodle soup but we're just gonna call it Irish chicken <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why. what do you do to make it Irish I don't even know um anyway that's funny so, just call it Irish yeah so it's Irish chicken and soup <clears throat> all righty delicious either yeah. way and so you know classic chicken noodle soup you got chicken got your noodles got some soup throw it all together <laughs> yum (laughs) (laughs) all right emily let's get started okay this happened in ireland like we said uh december 23rd 1996 so some time ago hey that's the year i was born oh my god it was not me (laughs) youngling just kidding yeah you are a little youngin (laughs) This happened in West Cork in a small town named Skull. It, um, a body of a woman was discovered in a very isolated house that was kind of buried like deep in the country. And her house was, it took a lot of like bends and turns on a road that was like barely there. So picture like Irish mountains, countryside, deep isolation over there. Yeah. How was it discovered? Um, by um, a neighbor who, she didn't live too far away, but it's like a, it's a very small town. So like your neighbors know what's going on with you, but right. yeah. Um, so the woman was found lying in the grass outside. She's dressed all in white in like a nightgown and she was caught on a barbed wire fence on the edge of a field. And it was estimated she'd been there for at least 12 hours because her house is up this windy road. It it took a while for someone to, like, come check on her or something. Honestly, I mean, that actually seems pretty quick. I thought you were going to say days. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. She had a lot of defense wounds from holding her hands up. And there was loose gravel and a lot of like thorny briars all around, like all around her. And she was all scratched up and she had severe head and facial injuries, a brain injury, and her skull was crushed from a heavy object. What? And they found a concrete block with blood on it on the scene. So it's most likely she was beat with like a concrete block. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That takes some strength. It does. And a lot of aggression. Like 
Yeah. That's hatred. Right. So a woman was identified as Sophie Toscan Duplantier. She was French woman who was in Ireland on holiday. Um, She bought the house and liked to go there frequently just for like alone time for her. Um, In the French news, this story breaks about a French woman murdered in West Cork. And her family hears about that on the news. And they don't name her, but her family all said, like, immediately they knew it was her because how many French women during Christmas time are in that er- that small area of Ireland? Right. You know? That so, is so sad. <clears throat> yeah. That would really come suck. Up. Why does that happen so often that family is alerted through the news? I mean, we, t- we I talked about this semi-recently. Yeah. I feel like that would be the first thing you do is call family. Even in 1996, like internet, like there wasn't social media or anything at that time. So mm-hmm. word traveled fast. I But I feel like you could have gotten the information to the family before it would have reached France. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. And not like they just saw it on a post on Facebook. Right. It took it took some calls yeah. and it took some reporting. Mm-hmm. Um. So Sophie's brother calls her neighbor, whose name is Josephine, and he says he remembers when Josephine picked up the phone. She's screaming and yelling, and he couldn't tell what she was saying. And he said, "Just tell me, is it Sophie or is it not?" And the neighbor had to tell him that it was Sophie. Oh my gosh. Um, which is just awful for the neighbor too, Josephine. Like you don't want to be the one to have to tell the family. That would be really crushing. Right. And like you would just be in shock, I feel like. Yeah. After like cuz she she witnessed that first. Mhm. Ugh, that's a rough thing. Um so Pierre Louis uh that is her son sophie's son he was 15 years old at the time um and he was on holiday with his father for christmas when he heard about his mother being killed um his parents they were divorced um which is why he spent christmas with his dad i think they like (laughs) alternated or something like that um but sophie had remarried and she was a documentary producer and her husband Daniel Duplantier was a film producer and they were kind of a a famous couple. They always were at movie premieres. They had red carpet appearances. He was, Daniel was very, very well known in French cinema, like very famous. So she loved going to Ireland to kind of get away from that scene and be like, be by herself and have some time alone to like work on her film projects and stuff. So that's why she was there. That's, I mean, good for her. Like, I mean, it's that's not that strange. You know, people yeah. live like that. People are comfortable being alone. I'm not. <laughs> I, I know you're not. <laughs> I can uh, never do that. I could, like, I couldn't imagine just going to another country by myself to be in this secluded place. I'd go crazy. Yeah. And like I said, this was 1996. 
TikTok wasn't around. <laughs> yeah. You would absolutely actually have to walk around to entertain yourself. Would I would I read it? <laughs> Ew, reading. I God. Even, like, yeah, no, that's not that's not for me. You know, We're so alike in so many ways, but I could totally do that and you totally could not. <laughs> yeah. I feel like uh, once once upon a time there was a no, I'm I'm too talkative. Like no, even, <laughs> even when you and I were in Canada and I was like alone, like um I needed to like remember like daily, I would ask you for a hug. Yes. Like yeah. I needed I needed some kind of human contact. It's like, Emily, can I please have a hug? Can we hug now? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. And we were together 24-7, and you still needed a hug. I still needed hugs. (laughs) I just was so deprived of human contact. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Anyway, sorry. That was off topic. So this was the first murder in West Cork in 100 years. So that gives you you know, what this com- little tiny community is like. There's no major crime, like, ever. Right. Um, so it was it really, really how, It kind of shows how small it is, too. Yeah. Um, there were blood stains on the metal gate going up the road to her house and a partial footprint outside, but nothing was disturbed in the house. Even her key to the house was in the lock at her back door still. So it seemed like the way everything in the house was perfectly normal and like the key was in the door, like she might have heard something outside and went outside and was attacked. Like they don't think anything happened in the house because there was nothing, nothing, you know, disturbed. And um, everyone in town was being interviewed and they had at least 50 suspects. That was narrowed down to 10 after a few days. But there were like some incidents a few days before she died that they were particularly interested in. And one of them was that she had visited a ruined castle called Three Castle Head. Um, And she went to a friend's house immediately after visiting these ruins. And she was like hysterical and saying, I saw a woman, a white shape. And this castle is said to be haunted by a white lady. And if you see her, it means you're going to die within a few hours. And this was the night before she died. So I don't know if you know anything about Irish people, but they're pretty superstitious sometimes. You know, some people, they they got a lot of lore in that country. Um, and so I was watching a documentary on this case. Mm-hmm. And this is to the Irish people. Literally the Irish people in this documentary said, if you were an Irish person, you have not have let her go home that night by herself because you know, you're superstitious, but she was French and she decided I'm just going to go home. So, you know, but that's a really, really crazy that possible coincidence. You know, she said she saw this ghost and then she died a few hours later. That is so crazy. Yeah. Like, I have no words. My jaws just dropped. Yeah. That's that's like 
too much of a coincidence. Um, and then another incident that happened on the 22nd of December, a witness came forward and said she saw Sophie leaving a shop and a man in a long black cloak followed her and was watching her. Um, and the shopkeeper said they watched this man like actually walk down the road and when she stopped they would stop and that it was strange which yeah obviously that would be really strange um did they alert her do they tell her that this is what happened i guess not like if i were that person i would have been like hey you come here Mm -hmm. that guy's staring at you come hang out with me for a while yeah i'd be like oh you forgot something come back you know when Sophie died her husband Daniel was back in France and he told everyone do not speak to anybody don't talk to the press and he absolutely refused to go to Ireland to see her body he never went to Ireland to see her or answer any questions or go to the crime scene or her house and people found that like super strange and thought his behavior was abnormal um you know that is that is i mean it is kind of strange but also like he'd go to this house that he's probably never been to before or like mm-hmm. like that was her house yeah and it would probably just bring up memories or thoughts of like whatever happened that night like i don't think it'd be it would really be that good and then he'd see her but like he'd see all her defensive wounds and like yeah he might have also been traumatized by it. I don't know. I'm just trying yeah. to think, like, why he would refuse. I think it would be really hard. Yeah. So I, I kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. Also, like, he's, he like, saying don't talk to the media or whatever. He's, remember, a very famous person in France. Like, yeah. you got to imagine he's probably thinking, like, I don't want all this coverage on it so I would give him the benefit of the doubt but people did think it was like odd like why don't you go identify your wife's body but her family did that instead her like her parents yeah um so on January 11th of 1997 a woman called Fiona well she was calling herself Fiona it was a fake name she called into the police and said she saw a man walking on Calfrada Bridge at three in the morning, which was only like a few miles at three at most, I think, from Sophie's house. Um, 3 a.m. in the morning on the 23rd, which is the morning Sophie was murdered. So she called again, this Fiona, from a phone booth and the police thought it was really strange that she didn't come forward to speak with the police directly like, yeah. or give a real name. And then the third time she called the police was from her home phone. And this time, because she called from her house phone, they were able to trace it. And it was a woman named Marie Farrell. And she said she was driving home from a visit and saw a man walking very drunkenly down the sidewalk or on the bridge staring at the sky and kind of rambling and stuff like that. And then she saw him again in January, leaving a shop. And that's when she like recognized that it was him is what she said. So, and the reason she 
was afraid to say who it was and wasn't giving her name um, because it was a man she identified as Ian Bailey, who was a well-known journalist who had been covering Sophie's case intensely, like really closely. Ian had been at every crime scene. He was one of the first people at the crime scene when her body was reported. He was at the filming of a crime scene reenactment, and he loved being interviewed about it. He told everyone that he was the inside scoop on this murder, that he had seen Sophie before, even though they hadn't been, they hadn't officially met or whatever. Um, So it's like this big thing now that he's been identified. Everyone's like, this reporter is now a suspect in her murder. That is crazy. I mean, just like before you finish to say if he it was or wasn't him, like if it had been him, just thinking about that would just be so like that's like almost the perfect position to be in if you're a psychopath mm-hmm. and you because you want to be like right in the action. You want to hear all the the latest news on it. You want to be right where the investigators are hearing everything people are saying. Yeah. So being a reporter would be like perfect if you're a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, it's a way to like try and cover yourself of why you're so interested. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm reporting on it. Yeah. It makes it very, very sinister. Yeah. And people started speculating like he, maybe he killed her just to have a nice story to write about but to one to get him famous or something yeah yeah which you know, oh my god which makes sense it up. would make sense because she she's a well-known person in in france mm-hmm. so he knows that right. she doesn't have too many like she he knows that she's in that house alone and he knows that it's going to get a lot of pub- publicity mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point too see but the thing is if he didn't do it he is now labeled as a monster in everyone's eyes. And even if he's found not guilty, like, I feel like every time you'd see him, you'd think he's a monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because just, of, like, you what can't shake saying. that, you know, that you'll be associated yeah. with it forever. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Ian Bailey starts being followed by the Gardy as they call the police there in Ireland, um, as he continues to investigate for his story. So they're kind of following him to see what he's doing. And they saw him go to Sophie's house and to the neighbor's house. There were pictures of Ian, like, looking into the houses. Um, So, you know, he's saying, I'm an investigative journalist. I'm going to find the truth of things, blah, blah, blah. But also that is a crime scene so yeah maybe you shouldn't be doing that and people are starting to think you're a suspect right a little sus like once if i were him once i got word that like people thought that i was a suspect i would kind of start backing off a little bit yeah i wouldn't be front and center of the story anymore even if it's a good story to write about exactly yeah um But Ian decides to come up with this great 
story that Sophie had male lovers coming to her home, um, that there were two wine glasses on her table that night. So that meant she was seeing one of these men and that she was killed by blunt force trauma and that she had not been sexually assaulted and she was having uh, like wild parties at her house. And it's this crazy story. And every, all of the locals who were friends with her, because she had been coming there for years on and off, nobody believed it. They said, you're crazy. Sophie comes here for isolation. She's not throwing parties and things like that. Like, there's no way. She's not that kind of person. So it's just ridiculous. And I don't know. It's it's just a big swing. And also, like, saying facts about the case like that makes him seem like, how does he know this information? Because that's very... Like, there were two wine glasses on her table, actually. But that was police information. So it was very interesting of how he had that information himself. Right. I mean, when all of a sudden you start coming up with, like... When your story differs from everyone else's and all of a sudden you have all these other facts that like have not been shared publicly, yeah, people are going to be even more suspicious of of you. Like, I don't know why he's even trying to, like, it's just so stupid of him. Yeah. Uh He's making himself look more guilty, even if he's not. Exactly. Her brother said... So in regard to like her lovers or whatever, she had told her husband, Daniel, that she was leaving him at one point um, for a man that she had met in 1991 and they had traveled to Ireland together twice. And then she separated from her husband, Daniel, but her new boyfriend, Bruno, we don't talk about Bruno. Uh, um, <laughs> Why does the name Bruno come up so often lately? I don't know, but this Bruno <laughs> truly was awful because he was very possessive, and she ended it in 90, 1993 because he was sending her threatening messages, and he possibly assaulted her, but they don't know for sure. So that wasn't a good relationship, and she got back together with her husband, Daniel, after that. They worked things out. Because they weren't divorced, they just separated. Oh, I see. So these male lovers that they're writing about in the paper, it was really like one man that she had briefly dated during a separation with her husband. So it wasn't like a crazy story. Yeah, three years prior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, please started to look into Bruno since there were problems with him in the past of like maybe he came to Ireland and did this maybe he murdered her but there was actual proof that he was at home getting a telephone installed in Paris on December 23rd so there were like receipts like the people who came to install it could prove it and everything so then rumors started that her husband Daniel had hired a hitman um so that she could not get any of his money, which I don't know. They both had money. They were both in the film business, you know? Right. I don't think that really checks out considering she was killed with like a weapon that was right there. Exactly. Not, like, a gun or anything. Exactly. It was like 
murder weapon by chance of what was around the area. What hitman does that? Nobody. Right. What hitman goes into something without a weapon? Like, that makes no sense to me. Speaking from experience, just kidding. (laughs) But like... (laughs) Yeah, what I've learned from movies, you a hit job is a bring your own weapon kind of thing. (laughs) Well, I just yeah, I mean that's just a really risky game to play when you're a professional, you know. I mean, yeah, professional. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. There's got to be people who actually do that, you know. It happens. Yeah. Um. So. The rumors about Daniel start to spread more because Sophie was his third wife. And again, he had refused to go to Ireland. But all of her friends say that at her funeral in France, um, Daniel was really devastated and like torn up about it. And he kept saying, I can't believe I wasn't with her when she died, that she was alone when she died. And, you know, he he didn't want to go to Ireland, but like he was visibly like upset at her funeral and everything yeah just like I don't know necessarily what he would benefit from going to Ireland honestly I don't know how necessary it was for him to go and like why people are like making that such an expectation on him like maybe he just couldn't handle it yeah and everyone mourns differently maybe he like like it's like those people that I mean, this is kind of a sad comparison, but it's like those people that can't be in the room when you're putting their dog, their dog down. Yeah. Like, even though it might help the situation for like the dog's sake or like for the investigation's sake, Mm -hmm. when I'm referring back to this, this uh, case. Yeah. He might, they might not be able to handle it, you know? Exactly. Like emotionally. It it might just be traumatizing. Yeah. That whole trip for him to go to Ireland, for him to give barely any information on the case that like he really could not contribute much Mm -hmm. and just to go see her body. Like it would just be too much. I don't know. And he, like I said, he doesn't have any good memories tied to that place of her. It would only be the thoughts of like what happened to her. Yeah. I would probably try to opt out honestly yeah and like all of her her like brother and her parents were going to identify the body like i don't think he necessarily had to be there really right so right um so ian finds himself under like after these rumors of daniel kind of die down a little bit he's kind of discredited from this case the rumors uh are It kind of leans back towards Ian, the reporter. Mm -hmm. Um, Ian had scratches on his forehead and his hands. Um, And again, there were lots of like thorny briar bushes around the area where she died. And that she had, you know, all of the police said she clearly had fought back. She had defensive wounds. So, um, but he explains that he got these from a Christmas tree farm. Uh, cutting down trees is where the scratches came from and that the scratch on his forehead was from a turkey that he had on his farm which he does have a Christmas tree farm and he did have turkeys on his property so it's not completely un like not plausible that it could have been but people were like 
that's suspicious. That's weird. Like, yeah. <laughs> you like, okay, just because he does, he was at those places, like, okay, he came up with a, a credible alibi that doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. Yeah. Like, yeah, I could easily say my dog scratched me. Oh, and I have a dog. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, so, it's a it's a very it's, believable, possible lie, you know. As Kendrick would say, how convenient. Exactly. <laughs> On February 10th, Ian is arrested for Sophie's murder, officially. And because um, please look into it even more as you do an investigation obviously and on the morning Sophie's body was discovered Ian was called by another reporter Eddie Cassidy and told that I lost my place mid-sentence <laughs> and Eddie Cassidy told him a foreign woman's body was found in West Cork and Ian drives immediately to Sophie's house without identification that it or that it was even a French woman or that it was Sophie. Like he was told a foreign woman. And to give context, West Cork is full of people from other countries. So like she was not like the only foreign woman living in the area. Like West Cork is a very like it's like a melting pot sort of place. So again, it looks very weird that he immediately drove over to her house without right. knowing it was a French woman or that it was Sophie. Um, well, how did this other reporter know that little bit of information? So this reporter uh, is from, like, the city, and I guess he had contacts in, like, the police there who get notified. Like, the police in the big city get notified from, like, the little towns quickly, and the news spreads faster over there, I guess. So... That's what I'm assuming, but that's what they said in the documentary. So Okay. Um, that is super strange. Yeah. And Ian lived only three miles away from Sophie's house. So it wasn't that far of a drive for him to get over there quickly either. Maybe um, he just had a hunch. You know? Maybe. Maybe it's just like, because he said he knew of her. So it's yeah. like, oh, this one, this one French lady lives th- like really close to me. Let me just drive over there really quick. Mm-hmm. could be I don't know so looking into the phone records more they found out that even before this reporter Eddie called Ian Ian had said there's been a murder and that I am investigating a murder so that is like the very very early hours of the morning he was already telling people before the body was even discovered that there was a murder and he was going to be investigating a murder. So. All right. Okay. There you stranger, go. On the coffin. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, there it goes. All right, buddy. Yeah. So Ian starts telling stories that when he was in police custody, they were very aggressive. They were calling him a bastard and shaking their fists at him he and swearing. <laughs> and. The chief of police says no such thing ever happened. No one ever talked to him like that. It, no one said anything like that, that it didn't happen. So these two different stories are going on. Um, and Ian then says that the Irish police 
had never dealt he was from england by the way ian never dealt with an educated englishman like him before that they were used to like dealing with dumb country people I'm like that doesn't sound good on you buddy but okay especially when you're reporting in an area full of these quote dumb country people yeah yeah not the brightest thing to say to like piss off everyone around you right um and then the police find a huge fire spot behind ian's house and a witness says she saw a large fire burning on december 26th um buttons from a coat jeans boots were discovered in this fire and mattress springs so like maybe a mattress was burned as well okay everything made sense up until the mattress (laughs) yeah i know like i don't i don't know what that would be about um ian said it was a fire from like early december not recent but it was like kind of determined from like the ashes and everything and the quality of the fire spot that it was a fresher fire um I mean, okay, you think about it, like, you gotta get rid of a mattress, I have a big fire pit outside, okay, use that, you know, like, I'm trying to put myself in, if he was innocent, then you're like, okay, I have clothes I want to throw away, you know, those make for good burning, I don't know, (laughs) so you can burn that, whatever, but then the boots, like, you don't burn rubber boots. No. Because the, the rubber soles, like, it's just a weird thing to put in a fire unless you're trying to hide something. Right. Yeah. It'll smell bad, too. Smell like, bad. And, like, yeah, you don't think to burn that. Uh, yeah. So, obviously, everyone's like, this is evidence. This is evidence right. that he's burning. Duh. And Ian's girlfriend, Jules, is also arrested at this point. And Jules admits that Ian left the bed uh that they shared um in the early hours of the morning the morning um oh my god sophie was murdered and she didn't see him again until 9 a.m the next day and that's when he had the scratch on his forehead (gasps) oh so ian changes his story after jules says that and he says well oh yeah yeah i did get up I did up to do a bit of writing, you know, for the the project I'm working on. I was writing. And how convenient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but even with all of this, all of the suspicious things, that is all circumstantial evidence. So Ian is right. released. And <sighs> stories start spreading everywhere about Ian, obviously, as they would. Um, that people swore up and down they saw him howling at the full moon with this magic stick that he claimed well he claimed it was a magic stick and that he was a lunatic and crazy some of these some of these rumors that go around about people are just nuts i know i i would kind of love it if someday someone was like you know what emily she just walked out in the forest with her magic stick i don't know well Actually, that reminds me of um, that one fight I got into at school. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Fourth grade. In the fourth. Here, I'll tell a quick story. Um, 
fourth grade, I got into a fight. I was, I was being mean. I'll admit it. I was being mean. I've learned my lesson since I'm not ever going to bully ever again. <laughs> um, and anyway, this girl was defending. I mean, okay. I say defending herself, but I wasn't like attacking her, whatever. She came up and <laughs> she started, she started attacking me and it was like a kick fight, whatever. Like we're just kind of kicking each other back and forth. I think we threw a couple punches. We're in the fourth grade. I don't know. I lost my shoe. I know that much. <laughs> um, Emily, Emily during this ordeal is up at the top of the playground screaming, fight, fight. I'm very helpful. Right, Emily. <laughs> That's so dramatic. She's screaming, fight! <laughs> While me and this girl are going at each other. Man. I, I lost my flip-flop. <laughs> oh, anyway. Anyway, we go to the office, whatever. We were both, like, decent kids. Like, this was not typical. Like, I was not typically a bully. Yeah. And so we... um. So we ended up hugging it out and whatever. We were sent back to class. I had, I, I do feel bad about this, but I ended up in everyone's minds being the one that won this fight. I get back to class. People are like, oh my gosh, Casey, I heard that you flipped her over your shoulder. Like, they're <laughs> describing that I like, I clotheslined her. Like ah, in in oh, everyone yeah. else's mind, the rumors You're went basically crazy. Basically, an MMA fighter. Yeah, and <laughs> in everyone's minds, the rumors went so crazy. I kicked her butt, and you know, I'm such an asshole. You're like, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I swear to God, I would hear people say, "Remember that time you flipped her over your shoulder?" Like in the middle school and stuff like that. Yes. Like people remembered that. People remembered that fight until I was a senior in high school. Yes. Like, that yes. was a core memory for all of us that day. <laughs> oh, I know. It's so funny because people would bring that up to me for so long. Remember that time you fought her? Remember that time you flipped her over your shoulder? That never happened. That never happened, but that persisted in everyone's mind <laughs> forever. Oh man. But anyway, it's like that where the rumors just go crazy. <laughs> oh man. Oh. I love it. What a good story. <laughs> I mean it, it, I mean it's kind of not, but like it is. Like it took it took a long time for me to admit that like I was not being a very nice a nice very nice child. But um I also I did not necessarily start the fight. <laughs> I'll just say all that anyway yeah. <laughs> so rumors can be really crazy yeah. <laughs> this is what this goes <laughs> you never know um so one day this man went to Ian's house to tell him like all these weird stories like hey Ian people are saying you like howl at the moon now like just thought you should know that's this is what people are saying kind of like trying to be a friend and Ian kind of just snaps at this guy and was like you saw her meaning Sophie 
You saw Sophie in Spar the day before she was killed and you wanted to have sex with her. So you went in her house at 2 a.m. and you scared her so bad. So you chased her out and hit her. And then you realized you went too far. And the friend is like, where did all of this come from? Like, excuse me? Like, and ever since that day, like he was a friend and he decided, oh, Ian was confessing through saying like, this is what you did you know wow and so that's kind of the attitude everyone's thinking now and then on new year's ian was at a pub with his girlfriend jules and a couple others and ian was drinking and he starts crying and talking about the murder and he's saying i did it i went too far and just letting out all of this crap and another time Another woman um, looked at him dead in the eye one time and was like, you murdered that woman. And Ian said, I never meant for everyone to get involved. And we're like, what does that mean, though? What does that mean? Like, what? And another time, Ian told a 14-year-old boy, I went up there and bashed her brains in with a rock after another day of drinking. And the boy and his mother went to the police and told them this. Where did this boy come from? Was he at the pub? So it was, um, I'm trying to remember. I think like he was just like uh, maybe passing by or something or was like, do you need help? Because like he was drunk or whatever. And he just yeah. like blurted it out. It was something like that. Like just a passing, not like yeah, in town, you know. Um. And so he's questioned about this. Like, why, what is this? Why are you can like basically confessing to these people saying yeah. you did it? And Ian's like, it's humor. It's dark humor, you guys. It's sarcasm, obviously. And everyone's like, you were actually crying and like upset. That is not sarcasm. Um, but he's like, you all think I did it anyway. So I just thought I'd act like I did it. Like kind of like that attitude. But he was being really serious at the time. So, like, I mean, like, no, it's not like that. It's not like a false confession. Because I know that, like, when you're really being berated, people are known to, like, give a false confession. But it's not like that because it's not the same. It's not like it, it's a constant interrogation, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so a year after sophie's death ian is arrested a second time and under irish law the police can have two detentions of arrest for 12 hours each if they do not convict they do not get a third interview they cannot arrest him a third time so basically like it has to stick or you need a confession or you you lost your shot basically wow that's strict yeah and i i think that means for like the same crime like the same accusation like if you did two separate crimes you could be arrested multiple times but you know right um kind of like double jeopardy but like with being arrested not convicted um so again they they were kind of hoping that with this arrest they'd get a confession but they do not 
That's and all they still have no evidence. So he's released again. Yeah. How dare gotcha. they? Yeah. So they probably should have waited, you know. And yeah. in 2003, seven years after Sophie's murder, Ian takes legal action against several newspapers for defamation, saying the court, um, you know, like you tarnished my reputation, blah, blah, blah. My life is ruined. People think I'm a murderer. So I guess you could do that. I guess maybe you would want to do that. But me personally, I'd probably be like, "Mm, I'm just going to like recede back into the background noise and like not bring any more attention to this case if it really wasn't me you know yeah well that's the thing is since it's clearly him anyway like he's just like i don't know just doesn't even care anymore so the court sought out all the case files and they're released to the public and everything is being drugged back up again like the witnesses are being re like talk to again their statements are taking down again and he he this started as ian trying to take the papers to court but it really started turning into a murder investigation all over again and it wasn't looking good for him because <laughs> why did he do this to him because he's stupid <laughs> because this woman marie farrell came forward again and she's the one who said she saw him on the bridge at three in the morning mm-hmm. and she said that Ian came to her and was threatening her to retract her statement and that he was harassing her and saying, like, I'll make your life hell if you don't tell the lawyers that you made it up or that the police told you to say this about me. So it was also discovered that he had beaten his girlfriend, Jules, so badly she almost lost an eye one time. Uh, Neighbors saw her bruised often and she had black eye multiple times clumps of hair missing from her head her lip had been severed one time and she needed stitches and ian says oh it was when we were both drinking and she pushed me first and he's like i don't this is a quote i don't absolve myself of my actions but it was in the past and it takes two to tango (gasps) oh no you don't care at all like he's like i don't want to like you know say what I did wasn't bad but like she started it like yeah that's not a good thing the most ridiculous thing it takes two to tango yeah that is sickening I don't see you with clumps of hair missing out of your head and you almost lost an eye like the thing like okay you're not getting the crap beat out of you yeah even if she like even if she hit him first that's where you walk away yeah that like it takes two to that is the most ridiculous thing yeah absurd and so all of this is found out and the case uh he loses the case (laughs) the judge is like yeah i do i do think you're a violent man actually so he lost (laughs) and wow good job for him because he thought he was really gonna win that case um he's looking more guilty than ever and at this point, Sophie's son is leading an association to find Sophie's murderer every month in Paris, so over in France. And 
it's a large group that was created in 2007 of like family citizens and a couple like lawmakers, I think. And they go over everything they possibly can. And they look at all the possible ways that France could probably convict Ian with their own laws. Since like the Irish courts weren't getting anywhere with it. So France officially begins an investigation in 2008. And Things start kind of spiraling, though, because Marie retracts her statements saying it was all bullshit and the claims she claims the police forced her to make those statements. And this is 10 years down the road. So for 10 years, she's been saying it's Ian Bailey. He's been threatening me to say to, like, retract my statements. And then now she's saying, no, I was not intimidated by Ian in any way. I just want to be out of the spotlight now. So I'm retracting my statement. No. Bitch, who's going to believe that? Like, that is now, all wrong. Now I'm kind of like, she's just discredited herself completely, though. Like, she, her witness testimony cannot be used anymore, even if, like, she retracted it because he really was harassing her so badly. And now she's saying, no, he never did, blah, blah, blah. But people are going to believe it's Ian even more now because that's what you've been saying for 10 years. It's crazy. And, you know, why if if the police had made her say all those things, why would she have called multiple times the fake name at first? And they work so hard to figure out who it is. Yeah, exactly. You were clearly trying to protect your identity then because you're afraid of somebody. Yeah, exactly. It's not like the police forced her into it at that point because they were they were trying to figure out who even was calling them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so dumb. Truly. Truly. And then they, and then that has to, her her new statement of like her retracting it and saying that it was it was from the like the police made her do it. That's now in the records because even though everyone knows that's BS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Marie flips completely and she becomes a star witness in Ian's defense, saying that the Irish police were corrupt, which is what Ian was kind of going for now. And most people think it was the police being like Sophie's murder being unsolved this long was incompetence over to corruption, really. And like the bloody the bloody gate that they had went missing. Uh, how do you just lose a whole gate? You know, um, evidence was gone and not recorded properly. So most people kind of are like, it's not corruption. It's just like these people have never experienced a murder trial before or like a murder on this level at in any way. So they just didn't know what to do. That's a good point. I mean, because yeah. with a murder. Sure. Like any evidence you take, it has to be taken perfectly and correctly, or else it can't be used in court. Exactly. I mean, I guess I don't know Irish laws, but I'm pretty sure that's consistent. Yeah. Um, nationwide or worldwide. I would assume it's something like that as well. Yeah. Um, so a December 2011, which is 15 years after her death, um, the DPP, which is um it's like legislature in, in or 
Ireland, my bad. Um, they came out and said that the evidence was never enough and that the police was flawed and the DPP dismissed many of the witnesses statements because they were not made immediately. Cause a lot of the statements from witnesses were like days or weeks or months or whatever after. So they were like, well, there can't be truly, um, taken in court because they weren't made like immediately when the murder happened or something that sucks though because like that's not even on the police or anything that's on the people that came forward yeah exactly i think that is so stupid like a statement is a statement and without that you have nothing so why you why not use it right right um and then another statement that really shook people that they said that, oh, yes, Ian Bailey had been violent to women, but that happens all the time. Excuse me? Wow. Yeah, basically kind of dismissing it like, oh, it's had no relevance to the case. Like, it, that kind of stuff happens a lot. What? Like, that is not something you want to hear from, like, your police and your lawmakers. That's really disturbing. That's really sickening. Yeah, I mean, I kind, I like, I kind of get what they're saying is like that if they have a history of aggression, then that's that's evidence there. Yeah, I mean, you'd think. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, France has the right to investigate and prosecute with their own police when a French citizen is murdered abroad. So that's what they're gonna go for. And Ian hears about the investigation in France in, in November 2014, 18 years after Sophie's death, Ian sues the Irish government for targeting him as a false suspect. So this is the second time he's tried to take people to court me? over this case. Um, it's, again, just like the first time, it doesn't go very well for him. He brings Marie on as a witness for his defense this time. And Marie says, I was with a man on Kalfrata Bridge, but I refuse to name this man. And people are like, well, no one can believe you without you naming this person so that they can come forward and confirm it as well. Right. But she absolutely refuses and she just gets up and walks out. And she's convinced to come back, but then lies under oath when naming the person like and it was an obvious lie that everyone knew it wasn't true i don't i don't know how they knew but um so his star witness is now completely discredited like people were like okay we can't talk to this marie anymore she changes her story all the time she's totally unreliable so she's out um and then agnes who is one of sophie's friends recalls that Sophie had called her before she went on this trip to Ireland about a man who had contacted her wanting to make a film with her and that he was interested in poetry and that this man wrote poems and Sophie had told Agnes he was a little strange and Ian was very very well known poet not that he was a good poet but that he went into pubs like all the time reading his own poems that he wrote a lot um 
And then a film producer in France said that Sophie told him she was meeting a man in Skull who was a writer, a journalist, and a poet interested in making a documentary on domestic violence. That's a subject. <laughs> oh, everyone's like, that's who else would it be who is a journalist and writes poems and would be interested in something weird like that? Or not, you know, not weird because. Right. But, you know. Um, Specific. Yeah. Right. So it's another kind of the French police as they're learning this from their interviews with like Sophie's friends in France and that they had these conversations. They're very, very interested in Ian as well, obviously, after hearing things like that. The thing, the thing about this investigation, though, that's messy is they're looking for clues that would fit Ian into the, like, they're, they know Ian's a suspect, and so they're looking for clues that are associated instead of, like, kind of starting from, z- like, ground zero where they are right. on their list and then yeah. they they start uh weeding people out yeah like it's an obvious target on him yeah than in general and you can't necessarily do that in a murder investigation because it's insane how often coincidences coincidences like that happen yeah i mean there's so many times where people fit the bill perfectly and have an alibi or are like just for some reason you know, they find the murder, the actual murder. Yeah. So. It is, it's messy and it's hard. For sure. Right. Like, I don't think that they, and I don't think that it holds up in court as well. Right. Yeah. Well, in May of 2019, 22 years after her murder, the French go ahead with a trial of absentia for Sophie's murder. So, there, that means like he doesn't have to be there for them to do this trial. And there is no jury. It's determined by three magistrates. And Ian's lawyer completely dismisses the trial. He says it's invalid and we do not recognize this trial that would stand up in court. We just completely ignore it, you know? Um, 30 witnesses are called to the trial. And France determines that Marie's original testimony that she originally gave in the beginning of all this was valid, but her other testimonies were not. Um, And the the judges of the French court convict Ian to 25 years in prison for killing Sophie. Um, So Ian gets a European arrest warrant charging him of murder and willful assault and battery. Um, but the problem is October, 2020, the Irish government rules Ian cannot be extradited to France to be arrested. So he has an arrest warrant in France. If he ever crossed onto French soil, he could be arrested, but he can sit pretty because he cannot be extradited. He can sit in Ireland as long as he wants to with no consequences. Like, he can't be arrested by Irish police. And the French can't go over there to arrest him. So... That is crazy. basically being convicted with no... No consequences. 
Yeah. Um, so that's know. kind of, that is where this case stands today, to this day. Um, under French law, Ian is still convicted of murder. And he would have to do a trial and be arrested if he were ever extradited or to set foot on French um, soil. And the Irish courts have refused every single request the French have made for extradition. And they do not acknowledge the French law practices used in their trial. They don't recognize it as valid, which is why he doesn't have to do anything. And they have no other suspects in the case either. And it's honestly crazy that is crazy honestly i don't think the way that the french government did it was right to be honest i don't think that was necessarily a fair trial personally i don't either it was it's very strange to me um whether i think he did it or not i don't think that was i don't even understand how trial of Sentio is even allowed done, anywhere you know right I don't think that that, yeah, like, that's not fair for him to not, like, need to be there to defend himself. Right. Or have some sort of defense. And then for, to like, no jury at all. Like, there's a a reason why we have juries. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, It'd be be a lot easier if we just had three people that could, that could decide together. But that's, that's not a fair way to do it. Because those three people probably already had biases against this guy. Right, exactly. Like from the beginning, they're pinning it on Ian. Their whole investigation is about him. Right, like oh, just because he's a poet, and just because, like he's a, he's. I mean, I I do think I I honestly think he did it. I do too. I I feel like he did. Yeah, but like that's the thing is like, without having a full trial and like a jury that's not aware of the case that already has their biases yeah not exactly fair fair. yeah it's definitely it's a super strange situation I've never heard of before like a case that's kind of solved because it has a conviction but isn't at the same time it's super strange um yeah and and two countries going kind of a I mean, against each other about it too. Yeah, like they're like I, Ireland's not really agreeing on this dude. law practices, right? And it's not even like he's an Irishman; he's from England. Yeah, and Ireland is like just defending this dude. Like, yeah, that yeah, that's a whole other thing. Like, he he does have citizenship though in Ireland, mm-hmm. but yeah, he was not born or raised there yeah i mean it's crazy in the grand scheme it is kind of interesting because in the grand scheme of things it would mean nothing to ireland to just be like okay yeah you can have him right but they are like really defending this dude so i don't know necessarily why if they just have like they just really genuinely don't think it's right yeah or if they have more reason to believe that he is innocent because mm-hmm. I mean in the end because the story that is concocted about what he did is also really strange like mm-hmm. he gets up in the middle of the night and he goes to her house 
and somehow lures her outside in the middle of the night. Yeah. It's super strange. And there's no evidence of sexual assault or anything. Mm -hmm. And then kills her with a um with a weapon that's there with uh-huh. a cinder block not even like so it wasn't planned so like if his what was his plan mm-hmm. was it just to make a case like i don't know it doesn't the story that's that's the out motive there, is elusive like you right. don't you don't really know right because people are saying like oh well he want to have sex with her and so he went over there in the middle of the night because that was like what that one dude was saying. Okay, then why didn't he? Right, exactly. I mean, exactly. If that's it's what his goal was, why didn't he? Super strange. And I don't know. I really don't know how to like lean towards this. I definitely like in my brain, especially like the documentary that I watched, which by the way is called. Um, Sophie a murder in West Cork it's on Netflix it's a three-part documentary um it it definitely gives both sides like in the documentary they interview Ian and he tells his story and they interview the police and they tell their story like it it interviews people on all sides so you see all sides of it and I still like seeing the way Ian talks about it in the documentary I'm like yeah yeah that's believable and then it'll talk with other people and I'm like yeah that's also very believable and it's very hard to decide um where exactly for me personally I fall on this because I think there's just there are a lot of circumstances especially him confessing to a bunch of people where I definitely lean more towards I think he did do it but Mm -hmm. it's it's a tricky thing because I don't know. Because for one, the rumor mill is crazy. So who mm-hmm. knows who just wants to get in on it? Yeah. Two, two, the fact that it's all circumstantial. There is not really any true evidence out there. Yeah. And so it's like, I feel like the Irish government shouldn't have arrested him the second time. Without right, having more evidence against they him. They should have waited. They should right. Have. So anyway, that's a really interesting case. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely like something different. Like just the way it ended, the way trial happened. Like it was so different. Yeah. Sure. And it happens. It happened. I mean, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of still going on today. Yeah. Crazy. Like her son still has that association in Paris. Like they're still looking into it um, to this day, I believe. So it's yeah. in their minds, obviously, still kind of an open case. Yeah, even though there is a conviction. Yeah. They still want to get the evidence and like be absolutely positive. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Super strange. But. Mm yeah anyway thank you for sharing and doing all that research that was really interesting I gotta watch that that documentary too yeah it's really good it'd be interesting to see what Ian looks like and to hear what he has to say yeah it's like three like 50 minute episodes it's good 
everyone right. check it out yeah. well on that note i'm casey i'm emily and you just heard a sprinkle of sugar a dash of murder bam, 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 bam.